morning, everyone. Uh, that uh, Sunday, the I mean Sunday the eighth, which is two days after the dance party, we're going to be doing a night of penance. Um, <laughs> by the by, if you're single, you can come to that dance party. Just bring a dance card. Not very funny, but it's, I thought it was funny. But, but seriously, on Sunday night, um, we're going to be having a, a fellow by the name of A.J. Sherrill, who is uh, a pastor in New York City at uh, Trinity Grace Church. He's going to be with us, and we're going to be talking about contemplative prayer, which is quiet prayer. He has a book entitled Quiet. Uh, Americans love this topic. Uh, quiet hearing God amidst the noise. If you want to participate with us, grab the book. We're going to be sort of going through the book that night for about 90 minutes, having an experience of contemplative prayer. The book is $10. That'll help us support the price of the event. Uh, the event's free, but we have to pay for it, right? So um, uh, we would love for you to participate with us in sort of view of Lent of that's coming up, Lent 2014, where we sort of make room for God. Uh, it's a beautiful rhythm. Some, I mean, I love the calendar, the Christian calendar. I love actually the American calendar. How would you like 4th of July and uh, Thanksgiving, right? And I mean, I love that uh, we celebrate Martin Luther King Day. And uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to do the um, uh, Valentine's Day. You know, you uh, love your mate and love your, uh, uh, the person that's significant to you. And we celebrate that. And we have Mom's Day. We have all these wonderful uh, things in the American calendar. Well, the Christian calendar is a way to orient our lives to the story of Christ. And the Lenten expression is a time to kind of open our hearts and make room for God as we anticipate the idea of what resurrection means in our lives. For most of you, or not most of you, for a number of you, and for myself included, we, we come from a tradition of loud you know, my spirituality, when I came to Christ, I came into the Pentecostal church, and we were known for loud. And we were down at the altars, and, you know, we were out shouting each other, and God was in the loud. And, uh, you know, and as charismatics, we would sing, and God was in the loud singing, you know, and we loved it, and, and I still love that stuff. Uh, we, we, but it was just kind of this expression of, of you know, sort of um, demonstrative, and God was there. What has been surprising to some of us in the last 15 years or so as some of us have journeyed together is that we found that God is also in the quiet, in space, places like praying the Our Father, which is this ancient prayer Jesus taught, but it isn't spontaneous. You're entering into another set of words that pulls us out of just our own personal spontaneity into an us-ness, that we found that strangely God is there. Some of us, as we say the creeds, or we sing doxology, or we do some of these ancient traditions that we were taught was dead religion, has surprised us to find out that in those quiet, kind of predictable spaces, God is there. And so, um, you know, it, it reminds me of the story of Elijah when Elijah was on Mount Carmel, and it's, it's a it is a Pentecostal moment, right? I mean, uh, he, he, he's, he has the boldest there and he's calling fire from heaven for crying out loud. Fire. And he throws water all over just to make it hard for God. And so he pours the water all over and he stands back and he calls on the name of God and shazam, right? Shandai. Uh, <laughs> The power comes and the fire comes and the, the whole thing is consumed and there's great glory for God in that moment. And then just a few days later, Elijah's walking and he hears God call him and he goes over to the mouth of the cave 
And as he's standing there waiting to hear from God, all of a sudden this huge tornadic wind shoots all around him. Well, certainly that's God. It's big. It's demonstrative. But God, the scripture says, was not in the wind. And then there was this earthquake that shook and rocks are falling everywhere and the ground is shaking and Elijah's saying, surely God is beginning to speak. And the scripture says specifically, explicitly, but God was not in the earthquake. And then this raging fire shoots all around him. And the scripture says, but God was not in the fire. He had been a few days before. He was smacking the fire, but he wasn't here. And all of a sudden the scripture says, there came a gentle whisper. Not demonstrative. Easy to miss. Easy to dismiss. And God was in the whisper. Somehow, I don't know why, but in some of our lives and our spirituality, we found that even though we love the shouting, the earthquakes, the wind, and all of that, God is in the quiet. So come join us and let's discover him. Tonight, today we're going to be uh, spending a little time just in chatter with uh, um, uh, Blaine and uh, Bartel, his wife Lori. They're, they're starting a community of faith here in Tulsa and we're completely behind it and I want to talk to you about why that's true. Brent and I will have a couple of comments to make about that. But before we do that, I just want to make a couple of comments about the church in general that we all feel a part of. When Jesus talked about establishing the kingdom of God in the earth, the influence of God in the earth, he didn't just talk about helping individual people find spiritual awakening. Certainly, individual people must find spiritual awakening. But what he, he had an intent for that. You find spiritual awakening, and the next step is realizing that that awakening pulls you into a group. He was longing to not just establish individual people who had belief, but establishing a group that were interconnected and dependent upon each other, and he called that group the church. He famously tells Peter in, first, or in Matthew 16, and I tell you, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, will not overcome it. Notice that one of the ways that the kingdom of God is released in the world so that the forces of darkness don't overcome it is when people become the church. It's not just against you as an individual but against us as a people. It's so provocative when you read Paul's thinking on this. At one point in his chatter in 1 Corinthians 5, he actually makes the statement that when a person who's a part of the church separates themselves from the church, they're actually putting themselves into the dominion of Hades, of Satan. There's something about, it's not just an individual response to Christ that makes us special in the world. It's that we've done that, but that we're connected with the church. Think of the Jews. They were individuals, to be sure. But God called them to be a people. Their identity wasn't just found in the question, who am I? Their identity was discovered in the question, who are we? Together. All of us come from families. We get that we're part of a family. I'm a gunger, right? And, uh, which, which I'm not a gunger alone. I, I'm, I'm part of a tribe. I'm part of a family. I, my identity is not just in my person. I'm part of this this Gunger group, uh, one of the most precious gifts my mom ever gave me was when I was just a little guy, six or seven or whatever I was, in Little League, and I just really was bad at that kind of thing. I still am bad. Um, I have no physical intelligence. 
And so anyway, I'm standing in front of the, the ball in the bat, you know, with the ball in the, not the ball, but with the bat in my hand. And uh, I, I was, you know, going to, I was in, I was my turn to be up and I swing and I miss. And then I swing again at the next pitch and it hit me right on the knuckles, right? And I am just, you know, and I'm, you know, but I got to buck up because I'm a, I'm a part of the team and my mom was back there. She goes, Edwin, are you all right? <laughs> right? So I, another time I'm standing there and the very next pitch, I swing again and it hit me in the exact same, what are the chances? The exact same place. And I, oh, tears are coming to my face. And she goes, Edwin, are you okay? Oh, and I'm running out to her. I think I might have been 15, actually. <laughs> I was little. And uh, so, <laughs> so I go out there. I mean, we left the game. I am just horrified. I'll never face those people again. I mean, I was just so horrified. You know, in a town of 1,800, hopefully I could not avoid seeing them again. So anyway, so I'm going out in the, in the parking lot, and I remember I'm, tears are rolling down my face. I'm feeling like a total moron, a total loser. And my mom looked at me, and she grabbed my face, and she said, listen to me. Look at me. She says, it doesn't matter if you're any good at baseball. She said, you're a gunger. <laughs> By the time I found out that that meant nothing, <laughs> absolutely Nothing. Something about that moment was like putting brown ooze into my soul. That I felt like I was something that could make something, that I would be okay, no matter what the contingencies of life threw me. That's a gift. My identity wasn't just found in what I could do. It was found in being part of something bigger than me. This kind of idea is what the church is. That we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And as a result of being together, we can make a difference that we can't do by ourselves. Not only is the notion of the church being a family true um, and that we somehow are brothers and sisters and there's mothers and fathers and all that kind of thing, but Paul takes it a step further. The scripture takes it a step further by saying that the church is not just family, that it's actually a body. The reason that's so significant is, you know, you might have a brother or sister that lives in New York and you live here and you're still family. But if your foot is in Seattle, it ain't gonna live without you. Right? You're, the body needs to be together in order to function or something starts to go weird. Right? So Paul makes this statement talking about the church. He says, the body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. For we who are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we're all been given this one spirit to drink. Now the body's not made up of one part, but many if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. See, what he's saying here is, you're not just a family that should fight to get along. You're a body, and, and no more, you cannot survive if you don't get along. Any more than a foot can be severed from the body and survive. You cannot survive. He's saying that Christians must learn to accept the sense of dependency upon one another. This is rough for Americans, we Americans, because dependency kind of means we're weak. There's something wrong with us. I mean, we have, we, our mythology is that of the individual, and it's so pervasive in our lives that we can hardly think of an usness. 
We usually think of a me-ness. I mean, even the campaigns for, for the army back as late, as close to the, as the 80s. Remember their old thing was, used to say, what? Be all you can be in the army. You know, you can be. And then it got even more specific where it started calling in the 90s. I think they started their, lo, or their slogan, an army of one. I mean, only in America would anybody get that. It's so oxymoronic, right? It's like, what? How can you be an army of one? Because an army is more than one, right? But they're just, oh, yeah, army of one. You know, we get that. We're a church of one, and it's me. <laughs> so we, we, we're a Nietzschean culture. Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche in the 1800s, he's that, that German philosopher who coined the word Uberman. You've heard in modern, modern parlance. Uberman stands for the person who refuses to imitate anyone. Refuses to submit to anyone because submission equals slavery. Refuses to acknowledge authority. The uberman is the person who, who doesn't obey the culture around him or her and must stand out and must stand alone, this kind of idea. And it has permeated our culture. In many ways, America is more Nietzschean than we are Christian. And it's crept into our spirituality. I mean, even our entry into faith. When you talk about people coming to faith, most of us think privately. Have you come to faith? Have you prayed that prayer? Or would you like to pray it with me? Or you can pray it by yourself. And just it's like this private moment where we cross the threshold of faith and we privately come to Christ. Now, understand, I think there's validity in that and I think it's true. But it's not the way the church historically ever thought about it. They had to have personal conversion. But what would happen is if you expressed interest in Christ, they would say, let's start talking about it. Come and let's start discussing it. And then they would say, would you like to become a catechumen? A catechumen was a person that was preparing for baptism. They believed that baptism was the sealing of the moment of faith. Then in baptism, something happened that sealed their heart. And that they would call that moment, you see it mixed in the scriptures, as at the moment of salvation. It wasn't that they weren't, you know, kind of like a marriage seals the deal. Right? When, you, when, when they entered into being a catechumen, it was like they got engaged. I mean, they weren't exactly married, but they weren't single either. Right? And so, but, but when they entered into the, the church, they came into a community. When they entered into faith, they joined the church. And it was through this event of baptism where, you know, you don't do it alone. You can't baptize yourself. <laughs> Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? And so they were brought in together. That kind of idea of community of faith is we don't do it alone. Christianity was never intended to be a private belief system. It was a space where people entered into the community of faith. So when I say community of faith, I mean two things. One is that we're part of a global and visible church that's a community of faith, true. But secondly, and probably more importantly, each of us are called and enjoined by sacred text to find a local church with local leadership in which we are to obey. I know you love that word, obey. It really isn't a cuss word. <laughs> obey, submit, give ourselves, serve, participate. That's what scripture enjoins us to do. Many think of the church as a commodity, something like an iPhone or a you know, which one do you want? An iPhone? You want this kind of phone? What do you, it's like a commodity you get to pick or choose. And uh, something you can take or leave. And, and if it helps your spiritual life, you know, personally, then, you know, do it. If it doesn't, don't do it, right? I, I know people who think they don't need any organized church. I've talked with them where they say, well, we, actually, I just, I'm, church makes me crazy. I just want to, 
just, you know, we get together with friends, and sometimes we go golfing, and sometimes we, you know, sit around, play cars, and we laugh a little bit, maybe pray a little bit together once in a while. And, you know, that's enough, they say. But what if it's not enough? What if there's something about gathering together as a church that's organized and directed toward Christ that, that, that reveals something to us that we need to have revealed in us? I'll give you, I want to give you two reasons why I think that's true. One is the church is a vehicle of epiphany. Epiphany is awareness. It's when God comes alive. It's when God makes himself known. There's a text in Matthew 18 that says, for when two or three come together in my name, Jesus said, there I am with them. It's not that he's not with you when you're by yourself. He is. But he's with us when we have more than two or three in a way that he's not with us when we're alone. It's a different way. And we need that different way. And then in Ephesians 2, Paul says a similar thing. He says, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with God's people. You're members of God's household, this idea of come together. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So he's saying we're like these, these stones with Christ Jesus himself as a cornerstone, chief cornerstone, but we're part of the building in whom the whole building's joined together and rises as God calls us together to be this holy temple, not just individually, which we are, but in a different way, together we become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. There's a way that God lives in us corporately that he does not live in us individually. Now, true, not every church approaches this the same way. There's some wonderful churches that are a slice of about a thousand years ago or longer who, with leaders wearing garb from a thousand years ago, and uh, they only pray prayers that are approved from their bishops from a thousand years ago. And they do it in a very ancient way. That, that, that's their expression. That's true. There's some churches that are hyper spontaneous, right? That they claim that spontaneity is the only way that the Holy Spirit can have his way in our midst. And so their prayers that they pray are never anything but what they make up in the moment, right? And their services are that way. Some churches are extremely modern. Going to church there is a bit like going to a variety show or a rock concert, Right? They're just different. It doesn't mean God's not there. They're just finding different ways to find expression of his life there. There are odd places, like sanctuary, where it's a mix of all of the above, just to keep you confused. <laughs> what exactly are you? <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I hear that. I don't quite get sanctuary yet. I mean, it's kind of like an evangelical, a little charismatic, and then it's kind of like I'm going to an old you know, liturgical church. You know, it confuses me, but you know what? I'm being changed, so I'm coming. I love that. So which church is right? I'm glad you asked that. I actually don't think that's the right question because I think they all may be right on some level. Maybe the, you know, the better question is to ask, which church has God called me to be a part of? And which church is helping me become more Christ-like? I have my uh, graduate degree in early church history and one of the things I teach it to you in the same subject, and one of the things that, <laughs> that surprised me you know, through the process of education and, and reading these early documents was to discover that there really wasn't an early Christianity. There were early Christianities because they had so many varying differences of how they approached the gospel, the, uh, the notion of, of how to understand what was going on. And, and even though they had different kinds of ways of approaching, they got more unified as time went on. But the, but the thing about it was they were just committed to each other. 
They, they, they have this sense of what's called Catholicity. That doesn't mean they're Catholic, like a Roman Catholic or something like that. What it means is that they're committed to the sense that we're together. Catholic means universal. That somehow they said, no matter if we disagree on a whole bunch of stuff, we're still in this together. And we're going to hold on to each other. One writer called it a, a, an era, about 200 years of quarrelsome cohesiveness. Right? Kind of like your family. But somehow being, even though extremely variegated, they were committed to being together. I think we could use more of that when we think about the church. That we're not judging. Instead, we're asking, God, simply where have you placed us? Because we believe this, we don't think sanctuary is the only place that is right. And we are pro-church in this city, right? I love the way Paul said it. He said, some say they're of Apollos, some say they're of Paul, some say they're of so-and-so. And he says, but who are we? He said, we're just people that participate, but God is the one that brings the increase. What if that's true? What if God's moving in this whole city in different ways and it's just, we're looking for him to bring the increase, not trying to identify who's right. You and I need the epiphany of the church, what she brings when we gather together. And it's deeper than what we can get on our own. Secondly, reason why I think that you and I should be active in a local church is because we need the faith of others. I mean, there are times when our lives hit the fan and um, faith just seems to elude us. And we get hit with trouble and sometimes it comes in a big sack and uh, maybe you fail in some horrible way. Maybe you're having an experience of loss that's inexplicable. You just can't get your mind around it. In, in those kinds of moments, sometimes our faith seems to take wings and I'll fly away, right? It just flies away. Um, if you're with the people of faith around you, you've worked to connect with them and you've fought to move toward them, which is a work. There's no church that's perfect. In fact, the fact that you come means it's not perfect. Right? And, and so you, just on some level, we need to understand that it, it, it takes work to move toward each other. Paul said at one point, use all the energy that you get from fellowship with the Holy Spirit to concern yourself with one another. Why? Because it's hard to concern yourself with one another. It's easier to run off and go by yourself. But, but what we have to understand is that if we will connect with people, when faith gets hard for us, their faith seems to hold us up. That's why I love we do the creed. We believe in God the Father, you know, the creator of heaven and earth. Because when we believe, that makes up for when I don't seem to be able to believe. I can lean on the weeness, right, when I-ness isn't working very well. Hmm? As a, one of our gals in our community came up to us, and um, she has been struggling with uh, cancer and um, it's several times and recently found some indication of it. And the first reaction is fear, as you can understand. Disorientation, as you can understand. And when we prayed, you could just feel that we were more than she was alone. And whatever that journey entails, doing it together is a gift. Gail and I met this young pastor and his wife just three weeks ago. Well, maybe a month ago. And uh, we're sitting together um, at dinner. They had come up to sanctuary because they like to visit. And we were chatting with them at dinner. And uh, he was so excited because they had just gotten married. He'd been single for 32 years and finally... Uh, found this gal that he absolutely went 
bananas for, and she had actually been through a failed marriage, been single for a while, and they connected with each other, and he's pastoring a church, and he gets married, everybody's for him, everybody's excited. They get married in October, they find out she's pregnant in December, (laughs) so we're meeting with them in what, middle of January, so she just found out she's pregnant. And they're so excited. I mean, he's just so excited. He's like, he said, I don't know if it's because I'm an old, you know, getting old. He's only 33, but he said, I don't know if it's because I'm older or whatever. He said, I'm so excited about this baby. He's, and then he was talking about it and jabbering about it. And, and then he talked about how his mom had, had been cancer-free and had been living in a healing zone for a number of years. It was a serious cancer. And she was so excited about this new baby. And then anyway, they were chatting about new life and marriage, etc. Well, about two weeks ago, um, she had a miscarriage. And, and those of you that have had those, we have in our family, those of you that have had in your family, you know uh, how devastating that is. It's really hard. And so you're processing that. Well, on the way, uh, they had to go to the hospital. She had to have a DNC. They did the DNC. And as they're leaving the hospital, she falls because she starts seizing and she goes into this seizure sequence that won't stop. Repeated, repeated, repeated. And she wouldn't come out of it. She just kept seizing. Well, they're panicking. They're giving her the drugs to stop it. won't stop it. And they're saying, if she stays like this, she's going to damage. Neurologically, she'll be damaged. So they decided to enter into the hospital and put her into a medical coma. So they do that. A few days pass. And uh, she starts to have this buildup in her blood of toxins. So they try to get her out of the coma so they can address that because they didn't want to have to put her on dialysis or whatever. I don't know all what medically was going on. But. So they put her, they, they, they tried to awaken her. She wouldn't wake up. So they said, well, we have to put something like in her neck. So they decided to put a, a port in her neck so they could do the dialysis and get her blood clean. But as they put the port in her neck, it was about a week ago now or something, five days ago. They put the part in her neck. The doctor made a mistake and cut into her artery and she almost died on the table bleeding to death. Five hours on the table. They finally get it stopped. They get her out of that and they they start the dialysis to help her. Um, Things still aren't going right. And right in the middle of all that, about three or four days ago, his mother calls him up. and says, honey, I just got back from the doctor and... uh, they send my cancers back with a vengeance. And they can't do anything. Not giving me much time. So it's a Job story, isn't it? And then yesterday morning, his bride died. So there he is, Justin, Pastor Justin. What do you tell them? You don't tell them anything. What don't you do? You lean into them. And you say, you don't say have faith because faith didn't work for him. You don't say have hope because hope didn't work for him. Not in this situation. So you say, we're here for you. And you may not be able to believe, but we believe. And you stand with them. And you stand with them until God begins to unravel that whole chaotic mess. I hope that you choose to make a church a part of your life because if you don't have trouble right now, you probably will because we are in the land of trouble. 
And if you're 25 and have had no trouble, don't just bank on that. You're going to get old <laughs> and have trouble. Or at the very least, there are going to be people around you that are in trouble that need you. You have to become a part of a community. That's why we believe in communities. That's why when we hear that another church is showing up in town, we don't think, another church in Tulsa? Why does Tulsa need another church? Well, I'll tell you, because there's lots of hurting people that are outside the network of relationship. And when another community comes with people that are honestly seeking God, all of a sudden opens up the possibility for more people to connect with more people. And so we go, thank God, bring them on. We want another 50. So it's in that light you know, that we believe, uh, the leadership team of, of Sanctuary has always believed that. And uh, when Br uh, Blaine called us, called me actually, about two years ago, he had just been on the back, you know, he was kind of coming out of a huge uh, disaster. Many of you are aware of, he's told his testimony very openly, um, that kind of came to light about five years ago. And he was working through it, and, and he finally was navigating into some good space, and he felt like he was supposed to come back to Tulsa. And uh, in coming back here, he said, Ed, he said, is it okay if I come to church? <laughs> sure. You know, we'd love you to come to church, right? Come to sanctuary. Everybody's welcome, you know? And, uh, and so, uh, you know, in talking about that, he said, well, I just want to be honest with you. He said, I really feel that one of the reasons I, I'm coming to Tulsa is I think that I might be doing a community here. And I said, well, that's awesome. I said, if you, you know, come to sanctuary, be a part of it. I said, for all I know, you'll take over sanctuary. I mean, I don't know what you'll do. I said, we don't know what's going on. Maybe God will speak something, Right? Right? How many know that we're not God? So I said, I don't know what will happen. I said, we, we may feel like we're supposed to be helping you to do a church. Whatever it is that's going to happen, I want you to know we're committed to you and committed to our people and committed to the kingdom of God. So come. So he came. And for the last two years, you know, he's been a part of the community. And then about 18 months ago, I think it was 18 months ago, maybe a little longer, uh, we said, hey, man, why don't you help us behind the scenes? Because he's smart and he's got cool stuff. I said, why don't you help us behind the scenes? He started helping us, came on staff. And in the whole process, we're going, how are you doing? I mean, what do you want to do? And what do you feel like God's saying to you? He said, no, I'm comfortable. I feel like this is good. About six months ago, I came to him. And I said, bro, do you want to get more involved with Sanctuary? You know, kind of, you know, d define yourself a little bit more uh, as a leader here in ministry, et cetera, and come some of your gifts that have been kind of on the side, kind of pull those up and be a part of that? Or do you guys, do you and Lori want to be doing something you want to pioneer a church? They're sorting it through for several weeks and came back to me and said, you know, we kind of think we might be being led to do something here in Tulsa. And so we said, well, how do you want to do it? We talked it all out and we're 100% behind him. So I'm letting you all know that we are very excited about what Blaine and Lori Bartell are doing in our community. We just want you to know about it and encourage us to be involved with our prayer and our hearts. Uh, some of you may feel called to be involved with them. And you just need to know we're open-handed. We're not in control of anyone because we found out we can't be anyway. If I could control you, I would. <laughs> But controlling you is like herding cats. <laughs> Blaine, come up here. And Pastor Brent, you come up here real quick. And I just want to make a couple of statements here. Um, can, can we do this? Can we pay for this pastor I, we talked about just for a second? Pray for this pastor, Justin. Father... We have no idea, most of us have no idea that haven't been through things like this. The, 
the level of confusion and heartache and pain that Justin's going through with the loss of Bree. And we're asking you to do a couple of things. One is help all those around him, including us here, just lean into him with prayer. Those of us that know on the deepest side, even though we don't get this ourselves, but we do know that you're good. And we do know that you are love. And we do know that, that even though stuff like this happens in the world, that you're bigger. We don't understand why you didn't stop this, but we do understand that the messiest of places, you can bring redemption. So we trust you to that end. And secondly, Lord, we pray that you deliver Justin from any of Job's friends who want to explain this all for him and help only the people that are okay with mystery and okay with trust in the midst of chaos to emerge. And we thank you in advance that this story will be redeemed because that's the kind of God you are. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And everyone said, amen. amen. Okay, so Blaine, tell us the name of the community is Resurrection Tulsa. Tell us a little bit about what you and Lori envision about this place. Yeah, we get it. we've got asked that a lot the last couple months. And I think there's a, a little bit of a, a pressure that's put on you when you start a new community to differentiate yourself from the rest and we really, uh, our vision is pretty simple. It's like what Sanctuary does, it's what Acts 2 is all about. Uh, gathering people around the table and teaching the apostles doctrine, fellowshipping, have prayers. So it's not any different <laughs> than I think what every other church would want to do in this community, and that is just to love our community well. I guess we've, we've kind of got a tagline, love Jesus, take time to listen and throw parties uh, for prodigals. <laughs> we, we, we really have a heart... Uh, for those that are especially uh, out of the way, disoriented in their faith, uh, maybe de-churched, I guess, on some level because of their experiences in the church. I know as, uh, as we've kind of journeyed together and talked about this and prayed about this, uh, every time Lori and I have uh, kind of gone into the Midtown area of Tulsa and into the heart of that part of our city, uh, it's kind of what you, you suggested uh, several months ago in a message that sometimes you'll, uh, if you've walked out in a park or in your backyard, you'll hear a little rustling in the bushes, and you really don't know what is in there. <laughs> it's kind of scary almost, like what's in there, but something's alive in there. Yeah. And uh, we just kind of hear that rustling when we get into that part of our city. And so there's, there's life in it. it. It gets alive inside of us. And so we just want to go to that part of Tulsa and love that community well, and we know uh, we're just going to be uh, one church in, in this city that uh, expresses Christ in a, in a real way, and the, and the cool thing about Tulsa is I love this city. This is where, I mean, two years ago, I kind of had a choice of where I wanted to live, and I thought, well, Dallas or Chicago or California or New York, and I, I you know, lots of places I was interested in, but I chose to move here. Uh, my family's here. I've got so many friends here. Uh, I, I served in this community at Church on the Move with Pastor Willie George for 20 years and love what they're doing. I have so many other pastor friends in this city, so I feel safe here. I feel loved here, and uh, 
we are just looking forward to doing doing our part. Yeah, now you, you know, in uh, coming off the back end of kind of a train wreck in your life and seeing how God was putting that together and and being a part of here and seeing how God has continued to build into your life strength. Um, how does that inform your sense of the prodigal? The prodigal means the waster, the person that hasn't done what they should do. But just in terms of what, how will you approach the church because of that experience? Yeah, I think uh, for me, uh, being a prodigal who I look back and I wasted many years of my life and wasted God's gifts in some ways. And, uh, but there's also an element where the father was prodigal mm. in that the older brother said, uh, you're wasting, you know, the fatted calf on this, this son of yours. You're, why are we having this big party? Why are you doing all of this extravagant stuff for this son that left you and wasted your inheritance? And so I've... I can tell you as a, uh, as a prodigal that has experienced the Father's love that that motivates me. Mm. Much is forgiven, much, you yeah. have much love. And so I just, I love to find people that feel like God has given up on them or the church has given up on them and say, listen, Jesus really, really does love you. And I yeah. mean, mean it, like he really does. And so, I don't know, if you're here today, I can just say as a, as a, uh, as a failure who failed really, really bad. Uh, there's something about Jesus uh, and his ability to bring us to life again. Mm. He's not afraid of death. In fact, he kind of likes getting around death and bringing resurrection into dead, dead places. And, uh, and when he does, uh, the temptation, I think, for me was uh, to, to look back. You know, once resurrection begins to happen in, in your life is to look back and have re regret. But the thing uh, to remember is that uh, resurrections are always too late. There's never been a resurrection that was on time. <laughs> <laughs> so we can't look back. We, we've got to look forward. And then I think the other thing I've learned at Sanctuary the last two years is that uh, even though you may rise from the dead and sense and feel the life of Jesus again, there is a longer process of taking off these grave clothes. Like the Lazarus that. story. The Lazarus story, yeah. Jesus said, take off the clothes. I mean, he couldn't take them off. There had to be people that kind of yeah. took those clothes off, and he still kind of smelled like death, and he looked yeah. like death, and there was still kind of death draped upon him. And for me, uh, it's been allowing people into my world, mm -hmm. into my space, deep places of my life and heart to say, help me to get all these grave clothes off. Uh, you know, that, I yeah. need to interrupt you. I, yeah. When you said that, I felt the Holy Spirit, he, he needed help to get the grave clothes off. Because some of us always feel like if we really love God, we should be able to get all the death off of us. Mm -hmm. Just pray a little more, be a little more consistent, be a little more diligent. But the reality is there's some spaces in our lives that we can never get free from unless we have help. Yeah. 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 And we need to, I think we need to own, own our death. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, early on, I, I think I, I tried to blame my sin on certain things. Like my counselors would talk to me about, well, these are some of the roots of your problems, some of the reasons. And, and there are reasons why we, we sin. Uh, but I think owning who we are and what we did and, and not saying someone killed us, but saying, mm -hmm. listen, I, I, caused this to happen. I opened up 
doors in my life uh, for this. And when we're honest about that and we're willing to allow people to speak into the transformation and changes that need to come, God can, can do uh, amazing things. So Yeah. Now, Brand, you were, you, for a couple of years now, have been meeting with Blaine pretty much weekly. And, um, you know, how, what have you seen in his life and how do you feel about where he's at? Well, the thing that gives me a lot of confidence uh, about Blaine is that, uh, first of all, the humility that he came with. I uh, wasn't trying to um, just push this aside and jump back into something. He was, he was humble. He had come to that place of depending on God and knowing that that was a good thing, <laughs> that that mm. was strength, um, and that knew that this was a process of life. You know, it wasn't a, okay, let me get fixed now so that I can, you know, push all that aside. Pretend it didn't happen. Pretend it didn't, it didn't happen. Mm. And so, because I see two different responses to brokenness. Um, first of all, we, we all have brokenness, right? Mm. If we think we don't, then we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, but there's two responses to brokenness. One is when I'm broken, then, okay, what are the steps for me to get fixed and better and so that I can throw all that behind me and now I don't have to think about it anymore? And that always concerns me, and, mm. and that's not how Blaine approached this. Or, or there's this sense that I'm on a journey and it's like I'm up on the interstate here, and I'm going to the East Coast, and there's exits that the enemy can pull me off mm-hmm. of that perfect plan that God has. And in my weakness and the limitations, I'm prone to some of those, but I, but I learn how not to do that, or I learn what mess that caused when I took that exit. And, and so I get back up on the road, and I know what that road now looks like, and the process of that road, and... Again, I'm not necessarily looking for, okay, what's the destination, and I'm fixed, and, and mm-hmm. so forth, but, it's, but I'm going to be on that road the rest of my life, yeah. and I'm, I'm, I know how to guard myself from exit points, I know how to stay on that path, I know the daily walk that's necessary for that, and that's what I've seen in Blaine, is he gets that, he understands that daily walk, and that daily commitment, and that uh, awareness that we all have to be um, sensitive to those different things that the enemy would pull us, yeah. um, that would diminish us and, and decrease us from what God yeah. has designed us to be. And so because we've seen him do that, we believe that this call is real, then we're excited about this because we know that there's some people that are going to respond to this sense of yeah. prodigal and resurrection that might not ever come here, but they're going to come there. Yeah, and, and you know, we applaud you because we... No, when, when real trouble happens in our lives, oftentimes it's easier just to hide and to disappear and to not stand up because you just don't feel worthy. So we're proud of you for standing up. Amen. Um, one more thing before we stop is um, sanctuary, you know, has been a part of your story now. And, and just how has this experience with these people and how we approach our spirituality, how has that uh, influenced you or formed you? What, what's your comment to this? Do you want to correct us? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, a friend of mine told me to come here, and of course I knew you guys, but I, I really didn't have a close or really ongoing relationship. I just, I'd see you at coffee places, yeah. and I really hadn't met Brent, but I've been told about Brent by a good friend of mine. So he told me to come here. He said, this would be a great church for you. And so I, I knew you, you guys were like Pentecostal and charismatic, and I was so I walk in and I'm thinking, this is not Pentecostal. And charismatic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like you said this morning, where's the shouting? <laughs> but actually, this is what I was longing for when I went through my recovery and restoration. I, I had this this deep yearning to go back to the roots of my faith and my my Christian 
experience and, and the early church. And so I, I began to, wow, the, the creed, well, what's that? You know, the apostles had a creed and, and, uh, and the communion. I mean, we, we did communion. I did communion in my church every fifth Sunday when we'd have a fifth Sunday, you know, so maybe three times a year. And they're doing this every week, you know, like this is really important. And, and so the more I got here, the more it began to form me and the more it deeply began to move into my soul. And I remember the, for the first time beginning to pray the Our Father prayer as a part of my daily devotion, you know, in the car and when I'd wake up and I'd go to bed and, and it really began to form me. Lent last year was amazing as I moved into Lent. I'd never done Lent. I didn't, you know, I'd heard about it, but as I made space for God, each part of my day, it really began to be transformational and understanding uh, the Christian calendar. And then I'll say this, I, I didn't say this in the other services, Ed, but one of the things I think is most for me being here is the way leadership is shared and the, the humility of leadership in this context. I've never seen uh, or been a part of a church where there are lead pastors who work together and love each other and share uh, with their staff opportunities. Uh, and what excites me, yeah, that is awesome. It's amazing. And what really is, what feels so good, having planted uh, a couple other churches in my lifetime and knowing how much work that is and how much pressure I felt to be the lead pastor, what is so good today is coming from this experience and this model is moving into uh, this community is knowing that I don't have to do it all. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to share it. It's okay. Yeah. I don't have to preach every Sunday and I don't have to do all the work that, that there are people who God is already bringing and will bring that I can share that with and we can do community together. So you've, you've introduced me to a, a model of, uh, and a, a, a way of worship uh, that has just absolutely been life-altering for Lori and I. And I can say this about these folks, and Saturday night and Sunday 9 o'clock, you have all loved us very, very well. Really, really well. We feel your love and your embrace and your prayers, and uh, it's transformational. There's something about being loved that just gives you faith and confidence, and we can do it. Yes. You know? So thank you. Beautiful. Thank you you know, that. honestly, guys, um, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being the kind of community that embraces and believes. I mean, we want legitimate, discernible, um, examinable transformation in people's lives. We don't want to be duped. We want it to be real. But we want it, and you want it. You're a resurrection people, and it is amazing to be in this context with you, so thank you. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary, or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.